Well, good morning. Oh, I'm so glad to be back. My name is Kevin Bear. I'm the lead pastor here at the Tomball Campus. I if I haven't met you personally, I am sorry. Come meet me at the end of the service. Uh, our family was on vacation uh, just before school started, so I was out the past two Sundays. Uh, we went to Disney World, which was really fun, uh, and we conquered Disney like you conquer Mount Everest. We did it all. Uh, and uh, and we uh, dropped dead at the end of it. Nah, I mean, but it was it was full, it was fun, but it is a joy, joy, joy to be back with you this morning. Um, we're going to be, if you have a Bible, in Second Kings chapters eighteen through twenty. Second Kings chapters eighteen through twenty. We're going to look at the life of King Hezekiah. We're continuing our series in the study of prophets and kings. So let me read a little bit for us. Uh, pray, and then we will jump in. Second Kings. Starting in verse, uh, chapter 18, starting in verse 1, it says this. In the year of Hoshea, son of Eli, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. And he was 25 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 29 years in Israel. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of uh, Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that David his father had done. He removed the high places and broke down the pillars and cut down the astra, and he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it and called, uh, and it was called Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord and the God, the God of Israel so that there was none like him among the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord and did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments and the Lord, that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him wherever he went, and he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. He struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza in his territory, from the watchtower to the fortified city. Now jump over to 2 Kings chapter 20. Starting in verse 12, it says this. Now that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters to present to Hezekiah. For he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah welcomed them and showed them all the treasures of his house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his armory, and all that was in his storehouses. There was nothing in his houses in all the realm that King Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? And from where did they come? And Hezekiah said, They have come from a far country, from Babylon. He said, What have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Then, Heze- then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that is in your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom your fathers shall be, uh, who will be uh, fathers, will shall be taken away from you. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord, which you have spoken is good. For he thought, why not? If there will be peace and security in my days. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. 
And Lord, we thank you for King Hezekiah. In, in so many ways, he was a, a man of, of trust, a man who trusted you with his life. But Lord, we see at the end of his life, uh, he was a man who became complacent. Um, he said the words, at least it'll be good in, in, in my days. And Lord, I pray that as we look at him, that we would be people that wisdom in how to end our, uh, live our own lives. And Lord, that we would be people that would not become complacent at the end of our days. That we would have a risk-taking, faith-filled faith all the way to the end. And so, Lord, we ask that from you, that you would birth that within us. Lord, we ask by your word, you would guide us to be the people you want us to be so that we can do the things you're calling us to do. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Well, when I was in college, I spent one summer in Boulder, Colorado, living with some folks. And, uh, and we rented a house from some other college students. And I probably shared this before, but we rented some house from some college students. And uh, when we rented it, uh, all the furniture was gone, removed from the house, and they were just leasing it to us over the summer. Uh, and so we got there, and we just had our sleeping bags. That was all we had to live in. And so we put our sleeping bags down, and we sleep in this place. Uh, and then my friends uh, invited me to go cliff jumping with them. And so we went up cliff jumping, and, and to get there, we needed to drive up the side of this mountain in Colorado. So the whole thing on the way up was just going um, up these different switchbacks over these roads, just climbing to the top of this mountain where we're going to go cliff jumping. And so we, we did that. We climbed up and, and we did our cliff jumping thing. It was great. And then at the end of it, we started coming back down. And so my roommate then says this to me. He says, hey, um, what you can do when you're going down the mountain is to just downshift into neutral and ride the brake on your way down. Now, I'm from Texas. In fact, I'm from Houston. I grew up in Katy, Texas, not too far from here. So, so the biggest hill that I was used to was an overpass, right? You know, you drive down those overpasses, those are the highest that they get. So I'd never really seen a mountain and, and no, for, no one had ever taught me how to navigate down a mountain, how to drive appropriately. And so I'm like, okay, this sounds like a great idea. I'll save gas, save money, poor college student. This is gonna be great. So I shift into neutral and I just ride the brake on the way down. And so we're just going and I'm riding the brake on the curves. It's going fine, riding the brake. And, and it was so steep, I didn't even need to press the gas once. I'm just like coasting on the way down until the very end. And right as we're entering into the city, I go to press the, the brake one more time and it doesn't give me any brake. I mean, it goes all the way down to the floorboard. And I'm like, I've got no brakes. I've got no brakes. And I look at the guy next to me who told me to do this stupid thing. I'm like, I'm like, I've got no brakes. He's like, do you have an emergency brake? I'm like, I don't know. It's my mom's car. I don't know. And he's, and he's like saying, look over there. And so finally I see the emergency brake. I slam on the brake. I skid to a stop under the stoplight that was there. Uh, mine was red. These were all green. And I guess they had all like just stopped just in time for me to do there. And then, then had to go parallel park using just the emergency brake. Um, well, why do I tell you that? Well, for this simple reason. One, your pastor's dumb. Uh, secondly, <laughs> secondly is this. I, what I realized in that moment is that I, I like uh, safety. I like security. I don't like adventure. Like, I want to know what's going on in front of me, and I want to have control over the circumstances of my life. I really don't want adventure. 
And all it took was, was that moment to know that I no longer had control of the brakes to realize that I don't want to live this sort of risk-taking, reckless life. And at one level, you'd be like, well, Kevin, of course, but that was just a dumb situation. Yeah, yeah, but, but, but I just apply that to other parts of my life. I mean, at one level, if someone's to ask you, hey, do you want to live a, a risk-taking, faith-filled, cutting-edge-of-faith life, you might say, absolutely. Like, do you want God to do something big, something amazing in your life? You might, yes, I want to be a faith-filled person. I want to, I want to live on the cutting edge of faith in my life. And then, the, and then you ask a second question. Okay, in order to do that, God will then complicate your life. God will then make it so that you don't have control over the brakes. God will make it so that you need to trust him in every one of your circumstances because you will not be able to steer the wheel. When I say that to you, some of you go, yeah, yeah, I, I, I didn't really mean um, faith-filled. <laughs> what I really meant was comfortable with like a tinge of adventure, like, 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 a, like a little inkling of adventure. What I really want is normal comfortable, controlled life. But God doesn't want to give you that. God doesn't want to give you a normal, comfortable, controlled life because he wants you to have a quality that is more important than your own control. And the quality that he wants to give you is summed up in one word in this beginning chapter of 18, and it's this, trust. God wants you to be full of trust. 2 Kings chapter 18, verses one through eight, it says this, in the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, the king of Judah, began to reign. And he was 25 years old when he began to reign. We see this young man become king, Hezekiah. He's 25 years old and he begins to reign over this area. And, and, and what you have at the beginning of chapter 18 is really a summary of his accomplishments, a summary of what he did in life. And it says that he began to reign. He was 25 years old. And in verse three of chapter 18, it says this, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. That commendation as well, it says that according to all that his David, his father had done, that's a unique description of Hezekiah. He did what was right. That means straight. It, it was the right thing to do in the eyes of God. And this is according to all David, his father had done. Only three kings have had that description. Jehoshaphat, Asa, Josiah, and then the fourthly, Hezekiah. They described him. He did what was right, like David. David was that epic king of old, the first faithful king of Israel, the second king, but the first faith-filled king of the nation of Israel. And it says of him, verse four, that he removed the high places and broke down the pillars and cut down the astra and broke to pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. What he first did, what, what showed that he was walking straight in line with God is that he set worship right. And you see this all throughout the Old Testament. When, when people are returning back to God, what the first thing they do is this, they start setting in the, the, the parameters of people, the right pieces, they set the right structures. And so he set worship in the right place. He says, I want to be a worship-filled church. I want to be a, a place that worships God above all else. Now, let me just tell you this, like this little, little side moment, a little, little highlight. Um, 
beginning the school year, like we're beginning a new school year. And let me just tell you this, it is a great time to set the right structures in place, to, to get involved in a community group, to make sure to, to come to Sunday morning worship, to get personally in the words of God, to set the right structures in place. And as you set the right structures in place, that's having a quiet time, that's getting involved in a small group Bible study. That's coming regularly to church. That means bringing your Bible. It means taking notes, getting a thing. It means I'm gonna intentionally grow in, in the word of God. That is, those are simple, great structures to put. And that's what Hezekiah did. That's what it meant to do the right things in the eyes of the Lord. And then it says this, this his greatest accolade. Verse five, and he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel so that there was none like him among the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. That word trust is Hezekiah's best quality. If you wanna know what's the highlight, what, what, is, what is the best quality, what is the, the epitaph that, that really encapsulates the life of Hezekiah? It says, he was a man who trusted God. And so what does that mean? Well, well it means this, that, that, that he followed God with everything he chose to do in his life. He believed and trusted God with his whole heart. Proverbs 3, five through six says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. He says, trust in God. And that's what Hezekiah did. So what does it mean to trust in God? It means, well, it contrasts that in, in Proverbs. It says, trust in God and lean not on your own understanding. So it's setting up a contrast. So you can do one of, the, one of the two. I can choose to trust God or I can choose to lean on my own understanding. I can choose to believe in God or I can choose to believe mostly in me. And so what does it mean to trust in our own understanding? Well, it means this, that I can lean on my experience or I can lean on my emotions or I can lean on my own self-perceptions. See, I think for, for all of us, uh, what, what we can tend to do when we encounter challenges in life, when, when it seems like we don't have control of the brakes, is to simply say this, I, I'm gonna lean on my experience. I'm not gonna lean on God. I'm gonna lean on my emotions. I'm not gonna lean on God. I'm gonna learn, lean on my perception of reality. I'm not going to lean fully on God. And I think for most of us, if we were to be pressed on this, we would say, do you trust God? You say, yeah, yeah I totally trust God. I completely trust God. Okay, when, when you encounter crisis, what's your first thing to go to? Do you go to your past experience? Do you go to deal with it with your emotions? Do you do, deal with it with how you see it? And do you respond with what first pops into your mind? Or do you go to God? Well, it says of Hezekiah that he trusted the God, that he trusted God in verse six, that he held fast to him and did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. He says he clung to him. That is a great word, that he clung to him. It, it, it means to fasten oneself to an object. It means to stick to, to join to. It's used in Genesis chapter 24 when it says that Adam uh, left and, and, and joined with his wife Eve. It means to, to stick close to. The, 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 the image that came to my mind is like a carabiner and a mountain climber. Like as a mountain climber is going up a mountain, what do they do? They, they, they take that rope that's attached to that 
carabiner and they clip it into the solid rock. And so they cling to it. They know that, that if something goes wrong, this rope and this rock will hold me steady. That's what it means to cling to the Lord. It means that I'm going to hold tight to him. And we see that Hezekiah does this. He does, he clings to the Lord in his life. Well, how does he do it? What are the examples that demonstrate that he actually clung to the Lord? Well, this is a summary of his life. How did he do it? And how do we do it? How do we become people that trust in the Lord and cling to him even in the midst of uncertainty? Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. There's something that God will put into every one of our lives to develop this quality of trust. And just, just wait, it'll happen. What God chooses to put in your life and my life to develop trust are moments of uncertainty. You only have to trust when you have moments of uncertainty. And God wants you to live a life of an adventure. He wants you to have fun. He wants life to be filled with faith and excitement and joy and pushing you to the limits. And what, you know what, as a kid, you wanted this. So my kids, we've been swimming all summer. We've been living with my in-laws as we're building a house here in, in, uh, in, in Tomball. We're renting, just different stuff. We're hopefully moving in at the end of this month, the 30th. Pray that our house closes and we all move in and the 30th, that will make life so much better. But, um, but we, I'm so appreciative to my in-laws. They've been housing us and dealing with us. And let me just tell you, my family is a lot. I've got four kids, me and my wife, and I'm just telling you, I'm a lot. And and they've been so gracious to deal with us. And so we've been living there and they have a pool in their backyard. And let me tell you what, it has been so fun to just play day after day in the pool with my young kids. I have an 11 year old daughter down to a five year old daughter, a couple in the mix. And it has been so fun. And what do my youngest two do? My five year old daughter and my seven year old son or eight year old son when we play in the pool, they say, daddy, throw me. They do it. And so they climb on top of me and they're wrestling me. And so I just stop them. I'm like, well, what do y'all want? And they're like, ah, and I'm like, fine. And I just, this is yesterday. I pick them up and I just throw them into the water and they're like, yes. And they land and they swim at me and the next one keeps coming. I keep on throwing them and they're like, this is the best. And they, and I keep on throwing them. And, and literally I'm like, we have to stop. It's been like 45 minutes of me tossing you into the pool, like we have to stop. And, and there's something when you're young, being in the arms of, of someone stronger than you that you trust and having them throw you into the deep end and swimming back, there's something exhilarating about that. And there's something about you going, yes, let's do it again. But there's something that happens when you get a little bit older that turns that off. Uh, we went to Disney World uh, this, past, this past week, and it was an amazing time. We did it all. But I'll tell you what, there came a point later on in the roller coaster journey where I was like, you know what? My stomach has had enough. Um, Y'all keep going. I'll start sitting. And, and that's reality with all of us. Faith can be fun at the start, but oftentimes when we really start walking with God, when he really brings uncertainty in our lives, we start to pull back. But let me tell you what, the reason God brings uncertainty in your life is because he wants to develop trust in you. And he can't develop trust if you have it all under control. And so what is God gonna do in your life that he did in Hezekiah's life? He brings moments to grow trust. So what does that look like? Here's your path. Here's what it's gonna look like. He's gonna put you in an overwhelming situation. He's gonna make it so that your dependence on God is the only option. 
He's gonna want your prayer life to grow and then he's gonna move in miraculous intervention. This is what it looks like to grow in trust. An overwhelming situation, dependence on God is the only option. Your prayer life grows and God moves in miraculously. So let's watch it in the life of Hezekiah. 2 Kings 18, verse 13, it says this, now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria, like he's saying, I have done wrong, withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. And the king of Israel required of King Hezekiah, Judah sent 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So here's what happens. Hezekiah has been king for 14 years. He started at 25. For 14 years, he is king, and he's been relatively a peaceful time. He's been tearing down the altars. He's been establishing the worship of God. And at this moment, God says, okay, I'm gonna teach you how to trust me. I'm gonna make your life complicated. Here is the king of Assyria that's come to attack you. And, and look at Hezekiah's first response. His first response is to try to solve the problem himself. He says, I'm so sorry. Like this, this went wrong. I'm so sorry. What do we need to do? And he says, I'm requiring of you 300 talents of silver. And so what does Hezekiah do? Verse 15, he gave them all the silver that was found in the house and the Lord and the treasuries of the king's house. And all the time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorposts. And the Hezekiah, the king of Judah, that overlaid and gave it to the king of Syria. He starts stripping down every piece of gold he could find and says, look, look, hey, if you just take this, if you just take this, if you just take this, will you just go away? He tries to solve the problem himself. He says, I'm going to take what I have and try to get rid of this issue with this king coming to me. Do you find yourself doing that? When you encounter an overwhelming situation, what's your first response? If you're like me, you're like, okay, I have experience, I have wisdom, I have experience to deal with this, and so I'm gonna deal with this myself. And so he starts trying to pay his way for this king to go away. Can I just take care of this thing myself? What he doesn't realize is that every person that does a 12-step program has to realize at the very beginning of the 12-step program. The statement is this, we are powerless over our problem and that our life has become unmanageable. See, before God can do anything miraculous in your life, he has to bring all of us to the point where we're no longer depending on ourselves. We realize our life has become unmanageable that I can't control the results of my circumstance. The opposition becomes overwhelming. No one comes to Jesus on their feet. Everyone comes on their knees. Every one of us has to come to the point where I don't control my life. I'm not in control of the circumstances of our world, of our culture, of our family, of myself. And I have to come to a power bigger than me, but Hezekiah is not there yet. And so he starts by just stripping down, doing everything he can to manage the problem. But the problem became unmanageable. Verse 17, and the king of Assyria sent Tartan, the, the Rabbi Sari and Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Shekah with a great army from Lachish to King Hezekiah in Jerusalem and said, we're gonna come to you. And we're going to destroy you. In fact, in this next little section, he, this 
person comes and, and starts disrespecting Hezekiah's God, starts disrespecting Hezekiah. He disrespects the people saying, why are you following Hezekiah? He's led you in a wrong direction. What are you doing? And, and he starts saying these things over and over again, demoralizing the people in verse 28 of chapter 18. Then, Rab, then Rabshakeh stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah, hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. This says the king of Assyria. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you for he will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying the Lord will surely deliver us. See, highlight that, verse 30. That's the issue. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying the Lord will surely deliver us and this city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. See, that's the issue. That's the attack. This whole issue is about demoralizing the people so that they don't trust the Lord. Verse 31, do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each of you will be able to eat of his own vine and each of you his own tree and each of you drink water from his own sister. He says, hey, just come to me. It's gonna be easier. It's gonna be simpler. You're gonna have your own vine. You're gonna have your own water. Like it's not gonna be complicated. Just bow the knee to me. Don't bow the knee to God. Verse 33 has any of the gods of the other nations delivered us out of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? And what he's saying is this, Assyria is a force to be reckoned with. We've steamrolled every, over every other nation and they were right. What makes you think you can stand? See, at some point in our lives, we have to come to the moment when we realize that our life is unmanageable we can't control the circumstances of our life. And what God is doing is turning up the heat, turning up the heat, because here's something he needs Hezekiah to do. He needs him to become fully dependent on God. Not his resources, not what he can manage, but fully dependent on God. And we see him do this turn in chapter 19. Verse one, as soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself in sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Elikim, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and the senior priest, and covered with sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. They said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this is the day of distress, of rebuke, of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth and there's no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God heard all the words of Reb Shekah, who is the master of the king of Syria, and sent to mock the living God and will rebuke the words of the Lord your God who has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. And his servants went to Isaiah and said, have you seen the situation? Have you seen that God is the only one that can move? You see this amazing dependence that, Nehemiah, that, that Hezekiah comes to. This amazing place of dependence. And listen, every conflict, every obstacle, every trial of your life isn't meant to make you strong. It's meant to make you dependent. 
See, as we grow up, we, we think that, that God's goal in our life is to move us from dependence on parents to independence and self-sufficiency, but that's not true. See, every trial in your life is meant to show you this, that you are more deeply dependent on God than you could ever imagine. And so maturity, true Christian maturity, is to move from dependence on our parents to dependence on God. We don't lose our need of dependence. We don't lose our, our, our need. We are so weak and we need God every moment of the day. And trials come to show us how out of control we really are. Corey Tinboom says this, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? You see, that really gets at whether or not you are a dependent person. How is your prayer life? Do you go to God in prayer when it's become so bad you can't do anything? It's like the spare tire. It's like you're driving down the road, a tire pops, oh crud, I need to go get God for this one. Or is he your first place to go to? And see, the real issue that Hezekiah has to come to is that, look, every obstacle he's gonna face in life should be met, first of all, on his knees in prayer. And that's true with you too. That's true with me. Every challenge I face, I don't go to my internal resources. I need to go to my knees in deep dependence on the Lord. That's what he's showing Hezekiah. That's what dependence looks like. Do I hit my knees first? Billy Graham says this, we are to pray in times of adversity, lest we become faithless and unbelieving. We are to pray in times of prosperity, lest we become boastful and proud. We are to pray in times of danger, lest we become fearful and doubting. We are to pray in times of security, lest we become self-sufficient. See, in every situation you enter, prayer is the first step. And so he hits his knees, he begs God to move. Please, 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 will you help? And then Hezekiah responds. His prayer life goes. Hezekiah received this moment and he says, don't worry, God is going to intervene. He's gonna come in. He's gonna lead this person away. And he does. There's a war that's going on. And even historically, there's historical records of this happening. Wars come in, this Assyria leaves. But, but this messenger from the king of Syria still jabs in a letter. And he writes back a letter in verse 14 saying that I'm coming back. Don't feel like you've escaped my judgment yet. And so Hezekiah does a second thing. He starts praying again. He says he opens up the letter before God in chapters 19, verse 14 through the end and starts begging God, please, you've heard these words. Will you now plead your case? Will you move and intervene? He prays and he prays and he prays. And let, me, let me just tell you this. Prayer, I was challenged on this this week and I was so thankful for it. Prayer is not our last resort, it's our first step. Prayer is not what we do when we come to the end of ourselves. It's what we do when we first encounter the problems we're facing. Are you having problems in your marriage? Have you gone to prayer first? Are you having problems with your finances? Have you gone to prayer first? How, are you having struggles with raising your kids? Have you prayed about it? And, and not just have you prayed about it, have you brought in the community of believers alongside you to pray with you? 
See, there's something extremely powerful when the community of believers comes together with an issue that you're facing or that I'm facing and says, we're gonna lift this up to the Lord together. We're gonna pray deeply over this issue because, because we're gonna come alongside. And there's something very powerful in the community that happens when that occurs. And that's what Hezekiah is leading all these people into. Let's pray together. Let's seek the Lord. Let's seek his solution alone. Dallas Willard in his book, Spirit of the Disciplines, says this, praying with frequency gives us readiness to pray again as needed from moment to moment. The more we pray, the more we think to pray. And as we see the results of prayer, the response of our Father to our request, our confidence in God, God's power spills over into other areas of life. You realize that when you pray with frequency and when you see God respond, all of a sudden you have more confidence. I've seen this in my own life. I remember for, for a while, I had never shared my faith with anyone. And I, I, someone challenged me, um, have you ever prayed about that? And I'm like, no. Well, you should start praying, Kevin. And I was like, ugh, then God's gonna answer that. And so I started praying and then I would do a lot of studying um, at a coffee shop. And I would say, okay, Lord, I'm gonna study. I've got things to do. Uh, but if you want me to have a spiritual conversation, will you send someone my way? Amen. And I just kind of threw off the prayer. And I kid you not, every time I prayed that prayer, someone would come into that coffee shop that had never been there before. Like, hey, I've never been here before. Hey, Kevin, I had a question I wanted to ask you. And they would just pop up in front of me. I'm like, God, why did I pray this? I had things to do. And then they'd sit there and we'd have an amazing conversation of encouragement. I would either lead them in their faith. I was able to share my faith. It was so interesting that when I actually prayed, God moved. When I actually asked, God did something. And it's so subtle. I find it so true in my own life that, that sometimes I get into the ruts where I don't want the adventure. I've kind of got my set plan. I've got the things I wanna do. Why would I wanna pray God's complexity into it? But that's the problem. I stop praying and God stops doing. But when I keep praying, God moves in and listen. God wants to do the miraculous in our midst. He does. And when Hezekiah prays and Hezekiah pleads, God brings the resources that he has to fix the problem. See, that's what happens. You see in verse 19, verse 32. Therefore, thus says the Lord, God concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there, or come back for it with a shield, or cast a siege mount against it. By the way there he came, by the same way he shall return. He shall not come into the city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. God comes in and says, look, I'm going to push the king of Assyria away. He is not going to come into your midst. I will solve the problem. In verse 35, and that night, an angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 at the camp of Assyria. And then the king left, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed, went home, lived in Nineveh, and he was worshiping in the house of his God. And two men came and killed him. And a new person reigned in his place. Let me just tell you, I don't know what problem you're facing but I know this, you need God's resources to do things only God can do. I don't know what trouble you're facing in life, 
but there's God's resources that he has that God can do. And, and, and so what does that look like in your life? Well, it may be a financial provision. It may be help in your marriage. It may be with that wayward child. It may be in that relationship that is unmanageable. I don't know what area you need God's miraculous intervention in, but let me tell you what, God answers through prayer. He answers all the time. He either answers immediately or eventually. He either says yes, no, or later, but God always answers. And in God's timing, in God's way, he can move and make your life an adventure. My hope is that we are a church that doesn't just talk about the power of God in prayer, that we're people that actually believe it. And we begin praying for things that only God can do. And we start seeing the results of God answering yes or wait, or let me redirect you a little bit to the things only God can do. So I just wanna take you a moment in this part of the sermon, I just wanna take you a moment and maybe have a pen or a phone. I want you to just take a note and say, Lord, this is my overwhelming situation that I want you to work in and speak into. What is that moment for you? What is that thing in your life right now you want God to move in? I want you to just take a moment right now and say, I'm gonna write this down. This is my struggle. This is my burden. This is the area that I want God to move into. Why don't you just take a moment and take the risk to write it down. Just take a moment. I wanna challenge you with that burden that you wrote down. Who's someone safe that you can share that with this week? Not eventually, this week. To join you in praying for that burden. God really answers prayer. And if we don't lob it to God, lift it to God, bring it to God, we're removing the opportunity for him to move in our midst. And, and, and for many of us, I, I think we, what we say is, I like to live an adventure, but when it comes to the real steps of adventure, we start pulling back. So we went to Disney World, it was so much fun. We did every ride, conquered it all. And we had to teach my kids something early on in the adventure, which was when it goes fast, roller coaster, uh, you just put your hands up and enjoy the ride right? And so there were certain rides that it would just take off fast and like, and, 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 and they would have to like throw their arms up and, and my, my five-year-old daughter would be like, baby, it means it's fun, right? And so there's this one ride where there's a Yeti at the end of it and it's a little bit terrifying. And we're like, no, no, it's a fun Yeti. It's a fun, he's trying to kill you, but it's fun. Like put your hands up there and like smile, like ah, okay? And so by the end of our time there, like that's what would happen. Like every time there would be like a rough ride, she'd go, ha, 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 you know, and just kind of enjoy it, right? 
But then on the flight back from, from Florida, as we're coming back into Houston, uh, the, the plane kind of hits some like rocky turbulence. And, and suddenly the plane just kind of like drops a little bit. And, and uh, my daughter beside me goes, hey! and I'm like, oh baby. And then we get to like land the plane and then it lands and it just like smacks the ground. And then like, I thought it was breaking excessively hard this particular time. And he's like, and she, and she just throws her arms up again and looks at me and smiles. And I'm like, ah, and I'm like, baby, not now, not now, not now, not now. And I'm like looking for people around me. Like, are they going to see my daughter with her hands up? And, and what we had taught her was adventure and risk is fun. That's what we had taught her. And that what I was reteaching her is adventure and risk is not always fun. <laughs> and I think oftentimes in life, we teach ourselves that, right? God says, come on, let's do this together. Come on, let's see some things happen. And then a little bit of turbulence hits, a little bit of trial hits, a little bit of frustration, a little bit of God didn't answer that when I thought he should hits. And then we're like, hey, I'm just gonna pull back. I'm not gonna risk anymore. I'm not gonna take that step out. And what I'm calling us to, what I'm asking us to do is what I think the, the gospel is asking us to do is to have faith and not doubt and keep our eyes not on ourselves, but keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. See, the, the, the hope that Hezekiah has isn't in his circumstances. It isn't in Isaiah. It's in the Lord. And your hope in life isn't in your circumstances. Your hope alone is in the Lord. That's it. So Peter, Jesus comes walking on the water. He says, come on out to water. And Peter naively, dumbly takes a step out onto the water. How dumb is that? right? And he starts walking. And then all of a sudden he starts looking from side to side at the winds and the waves and he begins sinking. And what did Jesus say to him? Why'd you doubt? Why'd you doubt? Oftentimes we just got to keep our eyes up and stop looking down. Keep our eyes up and not coast to the end. And see, Hezekiah hits a turn at the end of his life where he stops praying and pursuing and starts coasting. I'm just gonna summarize it here at the end, but he, he has a moment when, when his life is on the line that he's, going to, he's, going to, he's sick and he's going to die. And he gets on his knees and please, God, will you give me a few more years? And God says, yes, I'll give you 15 more years. And so for the last 15 years of his life, Hezekiah took a turn from pursuing the Lord to coasting. Some envoys from Babylon come and he's not worried about them. Hey, they're from Babylon. It's a long way away. What am I worried about? He doesn't know that Babylon's gonna come and take them away captive some years. He loses, he loses his discernment for what's an enemy and what's safe. See, that's the first problem with coasting is that we lose our discernment. And that's what he first loses. He loses discernment. He shows them all of his treasuries. And then Isaiah says to him, why did you show them everything? That's going to incentivize them to come back and take it all. And they do eventually. In all this last section, you see no prayers in his life. Earlier on, you see these desperate prayers that he grew in, but you see no prayers. He says, your, your sons are gonna be taken away. You're gonna lose everything. And you see him not pray a single time. And the last thing that he, he does 
Verse 19, it's such a tragic statement. Hezekiah said to Isaiah, when he says, you're gonna lose everything, they're gonna take it all away. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, for he thought, why not? If there will be peace and security in my days. He's content in his comfort. Why do we stop risking? Because we come, become content with the way things are. We become content in our comfort, not content in the Lord. See, there's a difference. I'm content in my comfort. He says, at least there'll be peace in my days. I think for some of us, we can have that same attitude. We lose our drive. We lose our urgency. We lose our dedication for the Lord because we're doing all right. We got another 15 years and we'll be on out of here. The word from Hezekiah to me is, don't stop. Don't stop pursuing the Lord, even at the tail end of your life. Don't stop asking for big things, even at the tail end of your life. It is worth the risk. It is worth the adventure. The cost of coasting is too high. So let me ask you three questions as we close. The first is this, how do you need to grow in your trust of God? What area of life do you need to grow in in your trust of God? Number two, what does your prayer life look like? Do you pray passionately, consistently, daily to God for the things that only he can control? Number three, are you coasting? Are you phoning it in, in your faithfulness and walk with the Lord? It's not always easy to see immediately, but it'll be revealed eventually. Are you coasting? We're gonna have an opportunity to close in prayer. And our prayer team is gonna work their way forward. And let me just tell you about our, our prayer team. Um, these individuals are, are passionate about prayer. With many of these folks, we meet weekly on Thursdays and we pray for you. We pray for this community, pray for everything that's going on. And each one of these people, um, they're not perfect, but they do love the Lord and they do love you. And for some of you, as, as we wrote down earlier, hey, this is, this is the issue, this is the obstacle, this is the challenge that I'm facing that I want prayer with. Um, as I say, hey, go share that with someone else to share that burden with you. Some of you said, man, I don't, I don't even know who would share that with me. I don't feel even comfortable sharing that with some people. Well, that's why this team is here. Um, your burden will not go beyond this room, beyond that person. It's right here. So we wanna pray alongside you because we do believe that God answers through prayer. So that's why this team is here in this moment. For others of you, as we're talking about God and a God who does amazing things, um, you're like, well, that seems unique or interesting, but, but you've actually never come to God. 
you've never put your faith alone in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. And let me say, before you bring um, your burden, maybe just take a moment and say, Lord, I don't know if I even know you. They would simply pray a prayer. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Jesus, thank you for dying for every one of my sins. Bring me into relationship with you. Now, if you take a moment here in a moment, you pray that prayer, come up. Share that with one of these people. We want to solidify that moment with you that you came to faith in Christ alone. For others of you, you have a very specific issue. There's, there's sickness or health or other issues that you need prayer for. We want to pray. We believe in a God who answers through prayer. So come in this closing moment. I'm going to close us here. The worship band's going to come up and close us in, in song. And during that time, come forward. We want to pray together. Lord, thank you for King Hezekiah, a man who wasn't perfect, but God, that you grew as a man who trusted you, who prayed to you. And Lord, I I desire to be a man who lives an adventure of faithfulness to you, who trusts you in everything. But Lord, if I am honest with myself, I don't want the challenge of the adventure. So Lord, I pray that you would open me up to say yes to whatever you're asking me to do. Lord, I wanna lift up each burden that um, that is on each person's heart here. Lord, I pray that we would take the risk taking step of raising that burden to you. Lord, that the community of believers would come alongside each one of these people um, to carry that burden alongside them. So Lord, I I pray that as we close uh, this morning with prayer um, and worship, that we would come forward to receive prayer. And Lord, that we would walk more fully in line with you. It's in Jesus' name.